The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone with my co-host, Lauren Deller-Blake, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Good morning, Lauren. How are you this morning? Good morning, Catherine. I am well, ready, to, ready to roll on this I Wednesday morning. I hope you are, morning. because our guest is already here, and we're going to be talking about caregivers, a huge topic. I think most of us know that, at least you and I do, mm-hmm. uh, being a coach, a, a life coach, a business coach, and I'm a social worker, but uh, this morning we have Fiddy Tacky. Fiddy Talkie, here I already pronounced the name wrong. It's a great name, Fiddy Talkie. She's going to discuss the important role that family caregivers undertake and tips to help take care of themselves, the caregivers. They have to take care of themselves and their loved ones. She is an expert. Uh, Fiddy, she's an RN, amongst other things, and is a psychiatric advanced practice nurse at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, which is very famous right in Texas where Lauren is. So she's had lots of experience uh, working with caregivers and specifically caregivers of cancer patients. So good morning. Nice to have you on the show, Fiddy. Good morning, Catherine and Lauren. Good morning. Uh, let's talk statistics so we know who and how many we're talking about. 44.4 million Americans are family caregivers. Who are they? What are they doing? Uh, that's an enormous amount of, in terms of our whole population, uh, and it's probably underestimated because each day that we, we add to that number. Um, so, Fiddy, let's begin. What, I mean, this is an enormous, I, I, should I describe it as a problem or a challenge? Um, I guess you could describe it more along those lines, yes, but more of a phenomenon of caregiving. Um, just this year alone, 1.5 million people in America will likely be diagnosed with cancer. Uh, over half of those are going to require a caregiver. And um, 65% of those patients will likely live five years or longer because of new and innovative treatments. Cancer is no longer being thought of so much as an acute disease as a chronic disease. So it's a long-term care condition that somebody... that is going to be caring for these for the patients. So who are the caregivers? Yes, in most cases they are spouses and of those the majority are female. And um as we all know, a caregiver is someone who assumes responsibility for the needs of a dependent adult. And it's been my experience that most caregivers are medically untrained and medically unprepared to assume a sudden set of uh, expansive responsibilities. And what are some of those responsibilities? What do yes. what yes. Um, their responsibilities encompass just about every facet of life, including of course delivering direct medical care to their loved one, uh, many times having to do more sophisticated uh techniques that it, it, 
not too long ago, five or eight years ago, were handled by highly trained nurses. So it's sort of a crash course in becoming an ICU nurse. And And there uh, also is the emotional burden of not only their own, but that of the patient. And uh, handling things from a social perspective in terms of other family members and relationships. And they, too, probably have a full-time job or they're going to school and uh, balancing those plates in the air. Uh, Also, just handling the medications and managing the side effects and working with uh, hospital staff or outpatient clinic staff that, uh, you know, are using foreign terminology and uh, tests and sort of uh, very acute medical care. And Melissa, I have just, to interrupt you because I'm listening. It sounds overwhelming to me. I don't know about to you, Lauren, but absolutely, it sounds. I mean, and and we're here. You have two women, uh, and you're talking about women who are working, who have children, who have responsibilities, who may have older parents, and then they become a caregiver, caregiver because their partner or spouse, as you're describing it, becomes sick with a long-term illness. How does one handle that? I mean, you know, is it to me? It almost sounds impossible. I mean, in terms of the responsibilities that somebody has to bear on a long-term I, I, basis, I think, you say it's I, no I, longer acute. I think many caregivers would agree with you that this seems impossible. So usually, what happens is that other family members can step in and assist at times. Although there are some families where that's not an option, that it truly does just boil down to the primary caregiver. And uh, there's a course of adjustment where a caregiver rearranges priorities between things that have to be done and things that would be nice to be done and peeling off the things that aren't so critical to that patient's functioning. And how does this bode for one's, well, first question is for one's marriage. I mean, because you know, like I, I think you've done a film, haven't you? Or you have been uh, yes. producing uh-huh. videos. Care, uh, one of them, and I was—I haven't seen it, but cancer and marriage. Yes, for couples. Yeah, it is a fascinating topic to me, and uh, something that I've devoted my life work to in helping couples handle this bomb that imploded in their lives. Each partner will, uh, of course, be uh, affected differently. And this can set up some very difficult dynamics in terms of different needs and expectations on the part of each partner. And that's where my role comes in. So what's your, since we don't have a lot of time, I mean, we kind of laid the groundwork for what can happen, and it could happen to any of us at any time. What do we do? I mean, you know, you have a spouse, you have a partner diagnosed with cancer, and as you say, long-term uh, chronic illness, uh, What's the first step? I mean, what, you know, and I know that here you get it, everyone's terrified, everyone's scared, everyone's vulnerable. Um, how do you sort this out from the beginning so that you get a good start, at least in terms of, of caregiving? And, uh, I mean, it'd be easy to be resentful and angry and frightened and, you know, all of those kind of negative emotions come up in my mind anyway. Absolutely. I would also add lonely. And lonely. Uh, exactly. Um, but... Th- Even from the outset, it would be ideal if a caregiver could be medically and emotionally trained at the same time, which is what we do here at MD Anderson. In terms of many of these feelings that you describe are normal. 
this is within the realm of normal experience. But just concretely, practical tips that they can do for themselves from the get-go is to not begin to overfunction for the patient. A gentle reminder or golden rule is don't do for the patient what they are capable of doing for themselves. Now, um, many times it is not possible to have the patient do much because of pain or nausea or other side effects. But in those days when the patient feels better is to sort of step back and allow them to assume some of independent functioning. But it will be critical for the caregiver to learn to take time for themselves, to give themselves permission that this is not only a nice thing to do for oneself, but studies are showing that this is medically necessary. Being subjected to this level of heightened chronic stress over a prolonged period of time can predispose one to their own medical illness on down the road. What does it say for... um City, what does it say for, I mean, marriages? I mean, marriages seem today, and I don't mean to be pessimistic, under the best of circumstances aren't surviving well. How do they survive under these kinds of conditions? I mean, people say, well, I didn't really set myself up for this. I'm, you know, um, how do you, how do you, you know, what, what, I mean, in your experience, I guess, it's your experience at Texas at the Med- at MD Anderson Center, do couples stay together? Uh, do families stay together? What, what has been the, what is the outcome? Yeah, one would think that uh, the caregivers would be lined up in the parking garage trying to get out and away from the situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that's very rarely the case, surprisingly. Uh, you're right, the, the, pull and tug on a natural marriage and a natural life, normal life, is great. And then you add this uh, overwhelming sense of uh, burden to a relationship. It's surprising that many uh, couples actually grow closer together. That has probably been true for 90-some percent of my patients. Now, is that because of the way you handle things, I would imagine, because of the kind of, of services that you provide at MD Anderson Cancer Center. I mean, Well, I I'm, would like to think that I've certainly uh, been helpful to couples, but even without uh, third-party intervention, many couples just seemingly gravitate closer to one another. Um, they sort of forget some of the daily hassles that they fight about and consider that all small stuff in the face of life and death and how important it is to uh, help this other human being who is suffering. Now, how do the children fit into this? How do you make it fit so that the children don't become, you know, that cancer doesn't become, uh, they don't become a cancer family, that everything isn't focused on the cancer if mom or dad has cancer, so that, there are, you know, the family has other outlets. I mean, because that can easily happen. The focus is on just is on the patient and the kids get left in the background, um, and it would seem to me that that's an important part of like keeping the family together in a positive way to be able to not to have that happen. I think you're right. I think the family can assume this cancer personality as you describe it, and um, that it will be vital for each member of that family to keep a toehold in the natural, normal, healthy world as much as it is possible to go about their normal daily activities, whether that's going to soccer practice or the grocery store or church or whatever. 
to uh, step away from the cancer, 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 and to not feel guilty about doing that. Uh, many caregivers and their family members feel guilty about doing something pleasant while their loved one is suffering, but actually it keeps the family healthier. Do you think that at some point it, it really it does become overwhelming simply for the caregiver or for the family because um, today we have the medicines, the medications to keep people alive at all costs, and that at some point it's just it becomes too much for one caregiver or one family to handle? I mean, because this is something that's never happened before. A hundred years ago, if somebody got sick, they somewhat they died naturally. And yes, you were a caregiver perhaps, but the person was the grandmother or the spouse was in your home, but you weren't, you didn't have to be a nurse or a doctor or a social worker. You just had to provide comfort and love and and, and that was caregiving. So the whole definition has changed. Does it get to be too much? At some point, you, you, a person just can't do that. Yes, I, I agree. I think at one point in time, although I can't remember when that might have <laughs> been, when, uh, you know, a big bowl of chicken soup was, was the caregiving task. No, it's much different now. Cancer is no longer an acute illness. It's now a chronic disease. People live longer. The home becomes a virtual outpatient clinical setting. And um, I think during those moments, and there will be some when it is completely, totally overwhelming, then we have to call in recruits, you know, of uh, auxiliary help just to give that caregiver a break. Sometimes they have to call professional caregiving services, although most families are unable to afford that. So we have... A minute to go. What do we want to leave the audience with? I mean, what kind of information? Let's say someone is listening to you right now and they their loved one has just been diagnosed and this whole caregiving thing has hit them. What it, is there a number to call? Is there a website to go to? You know, what what should one do? Yes, um, I would like to invite the audience to view www.mdanderson.org, where there is a wide range of uh, information pieces about cancer, and within that major site is a site, mdanderson.org forward slash iCare, where they can view my online video on caregiving and another video I've completed about the impact of cancer on marriage. I've also written a blog on caregiving at that same major site, mdanderson.org, and the listener can plug in the words cancer-wise and get to that blog. Great. Well, it's been great having you on the show, and obviously you've given us a lot of good information. Fiddy Taki, who is an RN, she's a, a nurse at the University of Texas MD Anderson Center, Cancer Center, um, and specializes in the emotional difficulties patients and caregivers encounter in adjusting to lo- living a life with cancer. Thanks so much. We appreciate your time and your information. Thank you, Catherine. Great having you. We'll be back in a minute. Lauren Deller-Blake and Catherine Zoxlin, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Don't go away. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. 
money. We love it, we hate it, and everything in between. You can be the master of your life and your own economics. Join Professor Laurie Lamantia each week for the program Making Peace with Money. Laurie will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness. You'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life. Making Peace with Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnist. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back on Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and my co-host, Lauren Deller-Blake. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. And if you're just joining us, Lauren and I were talking to a nurse, actually. She's a specialist, Fiddy Talkie. And she and most of us have heard of it. I mean, I'm sure you have, Lauren, MD Anderson Absolutely. Cancer Center, right? That's uh-huh. one of the cancer centers in the country. Uh-huh. She's worked with over 10,000 cancer patients, and she was just on the show telling us about the impact of cancer on caregivers. And the the figures, as uh, were there's an estimated 44.4 million Americans who provide emotional and physical care for loved ones with debilitating illnesses. Um, it's really, to me, and I'm a social worker, but it's, it's, it's depressing. And I think one of the things you and I picked up on is that she was talking about most caregivers are women. Uh, but people who are diagnosed with cancer, women are diagnosed with it as exactly. well. So are the men taking care of the women or what's happening? Because she said most of the caregivers are women. We didn't get to ask her the question. So what, when the woman gets cancer and what happens? Also, what happens? It's a great question, and I um I don't know the answer to it. I make up that men most likely hire somebody to take care of her, or what I'm thinking is the mother, sister, daughter comes in. I, I the second thing that you said, and the first thing I think are true, and I think a third one, which is a little bit not is a little more depressing, maybe is I think that men also leave. They get girlfriends. They get they're not there, and the, 
well, they may not leave actually physically, but they do. They get substitute caregivers, and then they lead their lives in parallel lives. Yeah, crazy. Well, when I was a social worker uh, counseling alcoholics and their families, which uh-huh. is you know quite a while ago, so it was um, one-on-one, and the statistics then were that if women, alco- women who were alcoholics who had major drinking problems, uh-huh. husbands left them. They did not stick around. If a wife had a husband who was an alcoholic... Now, I don't know if the statistics are the same. This is like, say, in the 80s. Um, the wife stuck by stuck him. Stuck around. She stuck around. She was there. So interesting. Because you know, I, I don't I mean, know if, I, if I can think about people just in my, in my circle, that's exactly the case. Yeah, mine so, too. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I don't think that's much different 20 years later. So, Lauren, I mean, I think that this whole caregiver thing is like becoming, there's something a little bit, and this may sound horrible to say, but I, it's like a little bizarre. You're expecting people to do things because of modern technology. Now, if you can just step back from it and science, that they're not prepared to do. I mean, why should one, because we keep people in this, and it's a, you know, it's a, not everybody is that sick. Let's put it, you know, you, you can get cancer. It's short term in terms of the stuff that you have to do that's really, difficult for the family, and then you become adjusted, and, and it's, the person isn't as sick, et cetera. But I don't think that families or people are, are set up to just take care of people on a long-term basis who are constantly ill. No, I think that's, I mean, I think about what it's like to be a mother of a healthy kid. You know, yeah. that's, that's hard enough. You know? And then can you imagine adding someone that's sick all the time, you know, that needs constant 24-7 care? can't imagine. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a societal thing that we have to, to me, also look for some other answers outside the family. I absolutely agree. Like, you can't do this one yourself. And if you try, it's like there's no reason to. I think that there's, I don't know, I look at, um, I look at me trying to take care of a child by myself, and I pay people to help me. And I know I have friends. I have friends that don't do that. They've created a network of people that they can, you know, that will watch their child. It doesn't cost them anything. They take turns. They trade. I think that in that situation, it's probably important to do the same for each other. I agree. I, I'm more like you. I'd always like to pay people if I could because I didn't want to have to then reciprocate. Right. <laughs> I don't want to take... I, I need somebody to take care of my kids, but I really didn't want to have to take, take care, care of others. Somebody. I get it. Yeah, because it was defeating the purpose for me that I'm, like, responsible for another family. So, yeah, if I could pay somebody, it worked out. It was better. I mean, everybody finds their way of or should find their way of doing it. But then, Lauren, you find these women who they don't pay anybody. They don't even share with somebody else. They just, like, they become these automatons and dedicate themselves, you know, and get sick themselves because they can't do that. Uh, take care of themselves, um, and are just you know, taking care of the kids, the sick person. The you know, uh, to me, it's sort of an unbearable cross to bear. But it it sure sounds overwhelming to me. But I think there is there's got to be. I'm not in that situation. Thank God, you know. Um, and I'm, there's got to be a way to do it so that it's not um, it doesn't destroy the person that's doing the caregiving. Because so I can see it doing that. It's got to be so hard. Yeah, I mean, she said, Fiddy Taki at the MD Anderson Cancer Center, she said that she found that couples, it helped bring them together. I think in a good relationship, that's probably, it could possibly be. Like, I, you know, 
Possibly, for sure. All right, good relationship. All right, we're changing topics now because what about Tipper Gore? Oh, my goodness, I couldn't believe it. And Al Gore getting a divorce. What did you think? I was shocked. I was shocked, too. It came across my breaking news. I am never usually shocked about that stuff. Not sure why they have to get a divorce because they have different houses. I guess they have a huge house in California in Mendocino. They have their, he has his family house in Tennessee and then some other houses in a couple other places. So they don't have to be together all the time. Why, you know, I'm really surprised. Why do you think? I, I have no idea. I don't know enough about them, but he seems like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know much, much about either one. I mean, I know more about him than her, but 40 years, that seems nuts. Well, and the thing is, on AOL, of course, they said that neither one of them is having an affair. So if you want to believe that, <laughs> not that the AOL knows, but. I just was trying to figure out. There has to be a backstory. There's some or an underlying story. There's definitely more to the story. Uh-huh. Definitely more. But I don't. I'm, can't. I couldn't make it up right now. I mean, that's the first thing I thought. All right, which one's having an affair? But uh, yeah, is, is it here? Is it she? I mean, she's. Uh, as I understand, she went through depression. She had a difficult time. Oh, uh, so similar to what we're talking about. She's yeah. the caregiver, well, and he's went, tired of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if she's still depressed. I think actually it happened a long time ago, and whether I, I have no idea. But uh, this was on one of the newscasts that I saw. You know, their son was in a terrible accident when he was a little right. boy. I remember that. Yeah, and that that had a profound effect on her. But that was a long time ago, and um, we'll we'll see because I think this whole story is going to play out. And I haven't had any. I've talked about this. I talked about it. At, we went out for dinner last night, and. Nobody seemed to have the answer because, of course, we were all talking about that. But, oh, Lauren, we went out, a friend of mine, this is a male friend, is having surgery today, and it's fairly significant surgery. You talk about being able to get to do what's good for you. Uh-huh. He called up like six or seven friends and said, let's go to dinner. I'm having surgery tomorrow. He was really down, you know, not obviously not depressed, but not jumping for joy. So he's really upset. So what he does, he calls up. We're going out for dinner. It's the last supper. <laughs> That's fun. And we're going to celebrate. And so he did. Instead of sitting at home, uh, you know, after 12 o'clock, you can't have anything to eat or drink. Right, right. But before that, you can. So we were there till 1030. And so oh, my we, God, that is so funny. I think that's a good way of handling it. I do, too. I do, too. And the fact that he asked for it. You know, most people wouldn't have done that. Exactly. He asked. He called, and he does. And I think he, t- he takes care of himself. Interesting. Uh-huh. And, you know, who does? That's, I think that's the lesson is, you know, we have to take care of ourselves before we can take care of other people. And yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, a lot of people would sit home, be, you know, worrying, upset, you know, I'm not going to, about the surgery and, uh, you know, and you really don't have to. So he, no. So having surgery as, uh, as we speak. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So that was his celebration. How many people went out for dinner? How many? There were two, four, six, eight of us. Oh, so he called a whole bunch of people. Cool. Yeah, eight of us. We had a great time. Fun. I drank and ate and uh, cheered him on, and that was it. And he'll probably do great today. Oh yeah, he'll do fine. He's he's. I mean, I'm sure he will. But no, that's that's what you have to do. I mean, that's taking care of yourself. But anyway, but anyway, at the while well, we're sitting there talking, everybody's talking Tipper to Gore, Al Gore. What nobody had an answer for that. Uh, yeah, it's a crazy one, but you know, now that I think about it, she probably needed more caregiving than he's. I'm making that up, but you know, let's just make up that that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> huh? 
Oh my God. Oh, I, I'm filling out, I just filled out my, I told the healthcare proxy thing, right? So my boys just want to know, so when do you want me to pull the plug? Just tell me and I'll do it. Exactly. <laughs> They're very practical. I said, there's nothing the matter with that. I think that's okay. Yeah, right. I think okay. practical, though, with compassion is important. I yeah. think practical without compassion is a little frustrating. Uh-huh. Right. I, I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you can get away with more practicalness with more compassion, and the less, the less compassion, the less practical. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that there's a line. Yeah, I agree. A line in the sand. I'm Catherine Zox with Lauren Deller-Blake. Lauren and I are going to take a short break. Uh, you are listening to The Catherine Zock Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone, voiceamericavariety.com, and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. And also, if you have something to say, you can call us at 866-472-5787, 866-472-5787. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is Dr. Vijaya Nair. Together with my dear friend, Dr. Howard Piper, we are hosting our own show called Kiss Your Life Hello. We are two internationally recognized experts, researchers, authors, and health advocates in holistic medicine and counseling. We promise you a fantastic show with interesting guest experts to educate and entertain you with the latest information on mind, body, and spirit wellness. Join us on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. See you there. If your pets could talk, they'd tell you to tune in to Pet Shop Talk. Join internationally recognized animal massage therapist Lola Jean Michelin every week for a show that covers everything from nutrition, health care, and training for your pet or animal. Lola and her guest experts will bring you the latest trends in the pet care industry. And even if you're not a pet owner, you'll find out why pets do the crazy things they do. Tune in each Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox with Lauren Beller Blake, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio, The Catherine Zox Show. Uh, Lauren, here's a. I've been, of course, me and everybody else. What do you think about? Uh, Barack Obama's response to the oil spill, or what people think his response should be to the oil spill. How do you? What? There's a lot of talk that he's not so much. 
saying or doing what he's supposed to be doing? What do you think? Well, I don't really have an opinion on what he should or shouldn't be doing. I do think that I feel like so helpless, like there's so much to do, and nobody's doing enough. You know, I just don't think there's any one person's fault. I think that, you know, BP says they hired 20,000 people, but it's, they need 100,000 people. You know, there's so much to do. I feel so helpless. I watch this. I want to go down and clean the beach. And you may, and the beach, I think the oil spill is, is, is heading towards the beach in Alabama now. It's, That's what I saw so this morning huge. on the news. I think there's a lot of stuff here, though. I think the expectations of the American people, uh, and I saw this on, uh, on Morning Joe this morning, uh, the expectation is we're like, we want short-term answers to everything, and we want it immediately and right now, and that's a problem because this is not a short-term no, response. No, this is a big deal. This is going to be affected for our, in our environment for years. For years and years, and the problems that are going to occur as a result of it, the solutions, all of it is not a short-term no, and I don't think that I can't. I'm, I'm having a hard time judging. I mean, I hear people judging him, but I think that's typical. I think people are going to always look for reasons to judge him on a negative, negatively. Um, but I do think that there, we do need to get to the bottom of why this happened, and went just because I think it can't. If it happens again, oh my goodness, something like this. This is awful. Well, what apparently he's he's doing what he should. He's doing what he should be doing, but Americans always need like a hoopla, like a big daddy to tell them that everything is going to be okay. This is—I think we're big babies. I, I mean, they want him, What do they want? Barack Obama to go down and, and sit on the oil rig and hold their hand? I mean, he's doing everything that he can do, as I understand it. He's fired the people that he needs to fire. He's looking into the re- regulations. He has stopped any oil drilling or potential oil drilling right now that was going to happen either in near the Arctic or I forgot where the other one is, near Virginia, I think, so that he's doing everything. He's, he's a doer, but they want him to get up and give a big speech like to make him feel good, like uh, George Bush. Which, exactly. Which, which was all talk, if you ask me. Yes, yeah, it is all talk, but they do want reassurance. And I, was, I felt really reassured when the guy, I forget, the local um, mayor down there, um, Bill something, I was calling Bill on CNN, um, I thought he's really, after his face-to-face meeting with um, Barack Obama, I thought for sure that he was so much more comfortable and felt like someone had his back. And that, to me, was the job of Barack Obama. Yeah. I mean, he's exactly, I mean, it, he has to be doing his job, he ha- and he is doing his job. Uh, you know, whether he gives a great big, to me, whether he gives a great big speech is, is, is irrelevant. It doesn't I, I matter. Just, what yeah, what can he say? Matter. There's nothing he can say or do to change this. No. But he's got, his, my opinion, he's got to have the backs of the people that are doing the hands-on work. Yeah. Um, and I, I, he does, I think. I mean, in terms of... That's he, his job. He, Yeah. They're doing... Uh, there's nobody who wants it... First of all, there's nobody who wants it to continue. I mean, there's nobody who doesn't want to stop the oil spill. It's in nobody's interest to have yeah, it Exactly. Keep. Yeah. I, nobody wants it. No. I mean, neither the oil companies, uh, nor the government, nor the people, nor anybody. So uh, you've got to do something about it. It is overwhelmingly... Just overwhelmingly um, sad and overwhelmingly, like, how do you fix it, you know? Stick your finger in the dike, you know that? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it must be a nightmare for him to wake up every morning. It is. Sometimes I can't watch it. Do you turn stuff off? I can't watch it either. I've had to shut it off. Like the past week or so, I've shut it off. I just just watch the breaking news, you know, what comes across my iPhone. I I haven't looked at it for a week. I just can't even bear to see the birds anymore. You know, the birds covered with oil and the dead fish and the, uh 
It's so depressing. And the people that are cleaning up the oil that are the fishermen that, you know, it's got to be, I can't even imagine how they feel. I can't even imagine. I mean, that was their livelihood, this clean, beautiful ocean, and now it's covered with gook. We're destroying our planet. We're totally destroying our planet. And it's happening right in front of us. And the sad thing is we, it's still gushing, you know. Does it seem to you that we're always cleaning up? I mean, even the topic, this is, we're talking about caregiving and we're talking about sick people. And all of our money and our efforts, instead of being put towards positive things, we're always, we're spending our money towards cleanup, towards taking care. I've been thinking about that the past even 24 hours, that our job feels like to constantly be in cleaning up mess mode, whether it's emotional messes, whether it's, you know, it seems like we're constantly cleaning up because of our own making messes. And that's what's going to, yeah, what, I mean, you can start, we had a war in Iraq, trillions of dollars. That has affected us in ways that, that on a day-to-day basis I don't even think we're aware of. Yeah, I agree so, with that. So, so we're cleaning up that money mess, and I don't think that we are necessarily. Well, we get along. We're cleaning up this, like this oil spill. We, we, we get sick because we don't take care of ourselves because of the air we breathe and the, and the food we eat, and, exactly. and we're obese, and so we're always, we've got people, we get sick, we get cancer. I mean, I'm not blaming the victim, but I think we have to take a look at the choices we make, and that's why we have a, we're making ourselves sick, and then we're spending all our time, our energy, our money on cleanup. And then I'm thinking, you know, here in New York, we have, uh, you know, this horrible budget situation that we did, they're trying to cut monies because we don't have enough money and we're in debt, I don't know, billions of dollars in the state. This is the state of New York. And they take money away from the university. Well, the university is what's going to, you know, money for education and kids. And, uh, I mean, that's what's going to make us stronger. We need to keep our monies in the right places or they want to close the parks here in New York, which they didn't do. It's happening. We need people to get out into the parks and exactly. feel healthy. It's, a, it's just the opposite thing. We need just the opposite of what we're doing. I, I, I'm hearing that some of the biggest, most beautiful parks in New York are closed. I was shocked to hear Thatcher Park in your backyard is closed. It's a, It's... It's a sort of like a, I don't know what kind of thing. It's backward thinking. It's backwards it's, thinking. I agree with that. So, and it is, you know, there is something about looking at the bigger picture of why are we, um, you know, it, it goes back to me about looking at our food resources and are we really delivering the best quality food to our people? We're not. No. We, we've skimped on in ways to make food less expensive um, you know, there's so many big things. And then I do think that this oil should have us look in the mirror of what's a new way to rely on, you know, other forms of energy so that this does not happen. But if we don't do that and we keep making these choices and sort of getting by, which you do after a while, but at, then at some point it's not going to work anymore. We have to stop and do something. Exactly. I mean, you're dealing, your business is dealing with, with women mm-hmm. and women entrepreneurs. So how do they fit into that picture? I mean, what kinds of new kinds of businesses or things that women can do that, that propel us more like in a healthy direction rather than this? Well, I'm seeing a lot of yeah. women business owners, and I do think that women generally do very thoughtful, generally create very thoughtful 
um, businesses. And the place that I see it most is around healthy eating, you know, nutrition, um, different food alternatives, recipe books, you know, just... But we haven't gotten it. I have not seen any women in the whole alternative energy field. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I personally haven't seen any. I haven't. So, and I think that it's time to, although I have seen a lot of people in the green field, in other words, just doing, using more sustainable products, that's a very female focused. I think that's pretty common. But, so those businesses, I think, are critical to ensure that they're successful. Critical. Well, I, I'm not surprised about the green thing because that also relates more specifically to families and your children, and you can relate it to that. You know, you don't want to poison your kids. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Alternative energy is a little bit more big business, philosophical, political. So I also think that there's something else to look at here. In other words, when basic consumerism does not, uh, well, it's not really capitalism, you know, people aren't, when people are not creating businesses that are helping areas of our world that are in dire need of change, like alternative energy, um, and in some ways the food system, I think there's something about the food, too, that we are not looking at. I do think it's important for the government to start looking at how do we partner with people in this particular area, whether there's incentives, whether there's something, to get us more focused on these particular areas of the world, because I do think that they are... Um, they're big and overwhelming, so no one's taking it on. Well, are you saying food sources, because you said two different things. Are you talking about we should be concerned with food sources globally or we need to take a look at ourselves? Both. Yeah. I think it's both because I think that we're educating people really well. So we have a lot of people, you know, shopping at healthier places and eating healthier foods. That's happening naturally. It is a little more expensive. shouldn't be, but it is. And we have also the other group of people that's really more conscious of their dollar first and they're not, they're choosing, they're really putting their, you know, heels in the ground and saying, I'm not going to eat like that because it's more expensive. Well, what if we just started making food that was just healthier for everybody? You know, I've noticed Betty Crocker. You know, I love this story. Betty Crocker has been making, you know, as you know, cookies and brownies and cakes um, for years and years and years. Just this past year, came out with a gluten-free product. Shocking, shocking, shocking. And I might add one of the best ones out there. Well, if she can, if Betty Crocker can do it, why can't everybody do that? We've had Betty Crocker, the editors from Betty Crocker. I remember that. On the show. We've had yeah. several times when they've come out with new cookbooks. Maybe we should get another one on for it, like you're talking about this gluten-free. And I think you're right. If you put the big names that people recognize, like Betty Crocker for one, uh, people will be more inclined to buy the product. Exactly. You know, rather than, what if we didn't give them so many choices? I have a little cafe that I go into here in Austin all the time. He says you can order anything on the menu and tell me if you want it gluten-free. Well, every, I think we, every product that's made should have an, a healthy alternative to it. That's not crazy different expensive, you know. It might be, you know, 10% more, whatever. But it doesn't have to be crazy expensive more. It's not more expensive because when you eat rotten food and processed food and sugar and salt and all of the stuff in the short term, and I was talking about short-term thinking, which I think is part of our problem, in the short term, yes, it's cheaper. In the long term, it's not because then you're going to get sick and you're going to have to go to the doctor and you're going to get diabetes and you're going to get high blood pressure and all of those things. Exactly. It becomes a lot more expensive. And those things don't happen just at age 50, 60, and 70 now. High blood pressure cholesterol, it's happening people in their 30s because of the way they eat. Exactly. And that, so that's a lifestyle that I think 
I don't have to blame anybody because I think that that person is responsible for what they put in their body, but I think we're giving people too many choices. Like, what if we were to change the source? It's the FDA, really. Of, you know, we're no longer using certain products in, in our food. What if we I am to going to talk that? to you. There is some man, a doctor, and he's been on this show, too. I don't think you were on that week. We have to take a break now, but um, who is doing just that when we come back? Catherine Zox, Lauren Beller. Blake, VoiceAmericaVariety.com, and World Talk Radio. I'm your social worker with a microphone. We'll be back in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Best Boomer Towns delivers the inside scoop on the best 21 places to relocate or retire in the U.S. Listen to columnists, town bloggers, and local residents as we highlight a town each week. Talk show host Nancy Shaka brings you the best and the brightest. As a baby boomer, you experienced Beatlemania, Woodstock, Vietnam, and the women's movement. Today, you're educated, health-minded, and thinking about where to spend your future. Tune in at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, to Best Boomer Towns every Thursday on the Voice America Variety Channel and start planning the best rest of your life. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox and Lauren Beller-Blake. On VoiceAmericaVariety.com, your social worker with a microphone, Lauren and I have been chatting about all the evils of, well, uh, not even the world, things that we have to do, taking responsibility, making good choices so that you live a healthy life, not just a healthy lifestyle, a healthy life for you, your children, your family, and this whole idea, Lauren, that you're talking about, like buying, that we should make the choice of just choosing good foods for ourselves and our families so that we're not sick. And is it possible? Yes, it's possible. Well, you know, I was in, Barry and I were in Poland two weeks ago. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, we, driving along the highway, driving to a, a town outside of the city, you stop at a gas station. At the, uh-huh. And at the gas station, you can buy healthy sandwiches, you can buy healthy fruit, you can buy vegetables. This is just an ordinary gas station on a highway. 
Well, you can buy potato chips and pretzels and that kind of stuff if you want to, but there are good choices. Here, you go on the throughway from New York City. Never. No good choices. However, no. i got to tell you another story. Rob was telling me he flew into L.A. the other day, took the train from L.A. to San Diego. The entire cafe car, gluten-free products. Well, you're talking California. I love that. That's yeah. amazing. But still, I mean, that's Amtrak. Yeah, that's great because Amtrak in New York is the total opposite. Yeah, it's not, no, no options like that yet. But I think this, I mean, we need more of that. You have to have, you have to kind of get into the American psyche, and maybe it comes from, I think it comes from women, that you, one feels guilty when you go to the grocery store to buy this junk for your kids, that you're really buying poison. You are buying exactly. chemicals. It's like, you, you know, it's remember years ago, my father smoked in the car when I was a kid. So did mine. Never, that would never, well, I still see it actually now, but very seldom, nothing like it is now. My, My daughter doesn't used... even know what a cigarette is. She doesn't, when she sees one on the ground, she's like, Mommy, what's that? Yeah, and that's a good point. That's true. My so we've done it with camel. cigarettes. We've done it. All right, so we, we wouldn't do that because it's in our psyche. I'm, I would be but it's endangering taken the life 40 years, of 40 yeah. years that took. We don't have 40 more years. I mean, if you look at the, um, how our bodies are deteriorating, if you look at this, the gluten issue, you know, my mother had a gluten issue. I didn't realize how hereditary it was. It continues the next generation. That issue gets worse. The next generation, it gets even worse if we don't clean it up. I didn't know that until the past year. I don't think it's just the gluten. It's diabetes. It's, it's, it's everything. Any of these, high blood pressure, cholesterol, all of but that. It, it goes from generation to generation. generation. And it gets worse and worse and worse the more we do nothing about it. And we think that, oh, I'm doing the best I can. I'm not hurting my kids. You absolutely are. Well, the other... Thing I'm talking about in terms of guilt factor, uh, you know, 30 years ago, pe- kids didn't ride in car seats, right? They just That's right. stood up. I used to stand up in the car. Me too. And, and play Climb in the over car. the seats when the car was flying down the road. No mother today, or let's say very few, would put their kid in the car without a, uh, uh, without putting them in. Not just be- not just because it's a law, because they would feel really guilty. I mean, it would make them. They wouldn't do it just because they don't want to endanger the life of their kid. Exactly. Forget about the law. I, speaking of this, this is a really funny story. I, we were, you know, Sierra's never not been in a car seat for, you know, four years, four and a half years. And the other day, we were leaving San Diego, and um, a car was picking us up at Rob's work. And um, so, a, you know, one of the, a nice car picked us up, and we all three got in the back seat and seat belted in. We didn't have a car seat for her because we were getting on the plane. She doesn't need a car seat on the plane. She, you know, doesn't need it. She says, Mommy, what about my car seat? I just, I have to use, she was freaking out, you know, not in a bad way, just all excited. You know, I don't have a car seat. I just get to seatbelt. And why are you sitting in the back? It was the funniest <laughs> conversation ever. There, see, because it, that's part of her psyche. That's, you that's know, right. That, yeah. You wear a car seat. That's how you do it. Well, then you want to, she's a, a little girl. You want to have that same kind of attitude when she goes to the grocery store. Well, she does. I mean, yesterday, um, I was at the grocery store yesterday. The woman says, would you like some Gatorade? And I said, you know, I heard Gatorade changed its ingredients. Could I read the bottle? And I'm reading the bottle, and she says to the woman, yeah, Mommy and me, we're (laughs) (laughs) gluten-free. So we have to educate our kids about what they're consuming. She says, Mommy checks the labels for, um, what was the... She said gluten and something else. Um, She was right. That's what I was checking the... the, Not gluten, but... um, What's the corn syrup, the um, high fructose corn syrup? Mommy yeah, and me to. were gluten-free. That's your next book, Lauren. 
Mommy and, mommy and me were gluten-free. Yeah, Mommy and me were gluten-free. I like that. That's a good title. It's a great title. And it can be a title for food and responsibility. It and what you put, true. Yeah, what you put in your kid's mouth and getting them to, it has, it's a whole, it's, it's a mindset. All of this stuff is a mindset. It is absolutely a mindset. But it starts with um, us not doing what our parents did, um, but taking full responsibility and questioning it all. Yeah. And educating ourselves. Yeah, educating. But don't you think, I mean, one of my friends said to me, people, and I, I, this really surprised me. She goes, she goes, well, people really don't, aren't educated. They don't know what's in food. They don't realize that processed food is bad. See, I don't believe that. I think we're, I don't, people do know that. You turn on the Today Show and they're always, they talk about the bad food and the good food and the good, it's not so much that. I think people are aware it's bad for you. It's just they continue to make a poor choice because somehow they can't make the connection or feel like that's really affecting their health for some reason. I agree with that. I think they think it affects their weight and that is less of a, they just don't connect it to health and, you know, chronic issues when you're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. Yeah, and you have to, I'm putting poison in, well, you have to say to yourself, this is poison what I'm eating. Look at the, I actually walked out of the grocery store, and this is another thing, don't, because we don't have that much time left, but don't be confused about stuff that they say is salt-free and fat-free. Yes, it's not no. chemical-free. Exactly. I went to the I went to the section of the grocery store where they sell all the the, the health, health, and I'm putting that in quotation, health foods. And I looked at the thing, and I wanted to buy some, I think it was crackers. And it was, you know, it was fat-free, it was salt-free. It had a paragraph, though, of chemicals that was in this. Exactly. Thing. Now, let's take it back to the oil spill. I mean, here we are with millions of gallons of chemicals in our water supply, our, our main water supply, which affects our fish, and our, you know, clams and our mussels and, you know, all the food that's, you know, all the things that we're killing. And not just not to think about the ecosystem, not, not, including the ecosystem. You know, it's changing everything. They said the hurricane system is going to be different this year because of all the oil on top of the water. So to think they're not related, I think, is it's, it's, it's crazy. Are we capable as human? Can we process that? Or are we just so simplistic that we have to have... To get back to this whole thing of immediacy, we have to see, you know, you eat something and it's poison and you die right away, <laughs> like taking arsenic. Or can you see the long-term effect of eating poison over 20 or 30 years? Can we incorporate that into our psyche? You, we have, if we can do it with cigarettes, we should be able to do it with anything. But I can't, what the thing is, is that I don't think we have time for is waiting to get it into our psyches in another 40 years. I think we have to be much smarter about it and allow cigarettes to be their, the thing that we can learn from. I mean, my grandfather died of emphysema from smoking. Um, he was a big, huge smoker. It, that's craziness. We shouldn't have to die from that. I have a sister who smokes. Crazy. Crazy. And when you talk about it with her, what does she say? Does she have a rational reason, or is it just an addictive personality? Or what, what I mean, she... Has it, she, there, she has the information, so you're proving my point. It's not that she doesn't know. It's, you know, cognitively that you smoke and you're going to... You know, I it. think what it is, and I don't know, I'm speaking for people in general, not just her, yeah. but I do think it's the moment-to-moment choice. We think that, well, this one cigarette's not going to do anything, but it's the... Or this one candy bar is not going to do anything, and it's not. It's the accumulation of it over 
a year, 5, 10, 20, 30, and that's what adds up. But I think it's the moment-to-moment decision that we're not making conscious choices. It's not just the one candy bar, and maybe if it's one candy bar and one cigarette together with, you know, one bag of potato chips or one bag, of, and, and it's the combination, too. And so then you get the cumulative effect of all that stuff, and we have to say goodbye. On that note, so conscious choices each moment, Catherine. Conscious choices each moment. That's from Lauren Beller Blake, Fish Nation. <laughs> Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.